Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Today, I want to take you through the next 40 days. In fact, I'm going to talk specifically about something that happened 40 days after Easter. And this is the event that we call the Ascension. Now, um, the Ascension is is an event that in, in scripture is, is incredibly important. And yet, I don't think it gets the attention that it deserves. Um, it, it is mentioned actually in all of the, all of the gospels. Uh, we, we are told that after Jesus rises from the, from the dead, he actually lived with the, the disciples. He interacts with them for 40 days. And then all of a sudden, something spectacular happens. Something a little strange happens. Something that had never happened before happens. And this is key right here. That Jesus, he leaves. He ascends. Now, uh, the passage that talks about it the, the most is actually in the book of Acts. And I want to invite you to turn to uh, Acts chapter 1. Um, we're going to be um, jumping around a little bit today. Um, but I'm going to start us in book of Acts chapter 1, because here's what happens. Uh, Jesus just says some things, which we'll get to in just a minute in verse 8, um, but then this is how it's told to us, that here, this 40th day after Jesus rose from the dead, it says, and when he had said these, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Now, this scene is called ascension just because he ascends, right? He's lifted up. He's lifted up right in their presence. And like I said before, um, I think this is a hugely important. Now, um, we celebrate, of course, we celebrate Easter. And, and let me just be clear, right? E- Easter, Easter is the big Sunday, is our Sunday for a reason, because that's when declared. That's when Jesus defeated the powers of sin and in darkness, right? This is, that is a huge day. That's why it's, we celebrate so much. Now, we don't celebrate Ascension quite the same way. In fact, Ascension takes place on a Thursday. Do you know that? May 13. But who celebrates anything on a Thursday in the middle of May, right? Um, you know, we don't we don't really uh, we don't really talk about it a whole month a whole bunch uh, at least here. Um, we don't celebrate it in the same way. However, I think that this May thirteenth, I want to invite you to to think about it a little differently. To to recognize that there's something amazing going on here. In fact, uh, I think that that uh, a pastor uh, by the name of Tim Keller. He says in a very strong language, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping this shocks you a little bit, because this is how he puts it. He says that the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus are of no use to us without the ascension. Okay, now, I want to see if I can help explain a little bit about what's going on here, because that's a strong statement, right? That's a very strong statement. And so let me see if I can explain. Now, um, first, let me set up What's going on here? I think this is unique and different in a way that is unlike any other event in Jesus' life. Jesus' birth, we all know, it was miraculous in a way that no other birth was. However, 
there were miraculous births in the Bible. We, we know of them, right? Uh, Jesus was a healer unlike any others. However, there were healers in the other healers in the Bible. Jesus was a miracle worker. And yes, it was more like any others. And yet, there were others. In fact, Jesus wasn't even the first person to be raised from the dead. There were others. There were six others before him. Now, okay, let me just, just stop there for a second just to make sure that, that I'm not saying that that was like anything else, okay? Because Jesus was not just raised from the dead. He wasn't just resuscitated. Jesus was resurrected, okay? Because uh, just a quick fact, every single person that was ever raised from the dead other than Jesus, guess what happened to them? They all died, right? They may have lived for a little longer, but then they, are, they all died. They ended up in a grave. That did not happen to Jesus. Jesus was just resuscitated. They, they did not give him CPR, right? Um, he, he was resurrected. He had a new body, and this new body had some upgrades to it, right? Uh, uh, we, you know, we, we, we saw, it seems like, uh, during that time, he could, he could, like, walk through walls. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty neat. He could teleport, it seems like. And, and here we see he can fly, <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's pretty neat. Now, however, I, I want to suggest to you, those things are pretty important, and yet there's even someone else who ascends to heaven in the Old Testament. Elijah does. So even the fact that Jesus is lifted up, that's not necessarily new. But what I want to suggest to you today is that what happens at the ascension actually validates the victory of the cross, not just because it is unique, not just because it is this wild event, not just because, just because he goes up, but because of what he does when he gets there. This is unlike anything else. In fact, Stephen, in his famous sermon uh, in, the, in Acts chapter 7, the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts, uh, Stephen gets to the point of the ascension. He says that he sees Jesus seated at the right hand of God, and they go crazy. That was what made them mad. They made, made him mad because of what Jesus is doing. The book of Mark would say it this way. The book of Mark ends uh, with these words. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down. Now, don't end there. Hold on. You might think that Jesus sat down because he was tired. And, you know, I, I bet he kind of was. <laughs> I mean, he went through a lot in a sense, but that's not what he was doing when he sat down. It wasn't the way we sit down when we get home, all right, from a long day of work. That's more like a falling down <laughs> in exhaustion. That's not what Jesus did. It says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. The Hebrews would say uh, after he had provided sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Uh, this phrase that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God or on the throne, that's mentioned at least 17 times in our New Testament. This is a powerfully important statement, and it's all talking about what happened at the ascension. And I think here, the image, uh, I know, the image of what sitting down at the right hand of God at the throne is, is talking about sitting down in authority, taking Jesus's rightful place as our leader, as the one in charge, as the place of where he's working. You know, in some ways, it's kind of like our, our government uh, 
It's kind of sort of like a presidential election. We've experienced one of those recently. Now, and, and, and just, just here's, not, not to get into all of that or to bring that back up. I, maybe I shouldn't even remind you of that. But um, in, in a presidential, a U.S. presidential election, when, I want to ask you a question, when is victory won? When is victory won? And I'd suggest to you that victory is won, whether you count the votes in a week or later or whatever, but it's won on election night. That that's actually when someone comes out either winning or losing because of what happens on election day, right? But when does someone get to work? When does someone sit down in the Oval Office and begin working? That's inauguration day right? And I want to suggest that our victory day, victory day is resurrection Sunday, right? Victory day is what happens on the cross and, and resurrection, right? That's victory. That's when Jesus won. But when he actually gets to work, <laughs> that's inauguration. Now, you might be thinking, um, wait a minute, Jesus did all the work there on the cross. And yes, in some sense he did. He did all the work that is necessary for us to be saved, 100%. However, he's not done yet. And the Bible makes that very clear. Okay, um, Acts, if you're still with me in Acts, um, look at the first verse in the book of Acts. It says this, okay? Um, and, and the book of Acts, you gotta remember, is the second part of two books. Okay, it's the second book. The first book is, is the book of Luke. Okay, Luke is the author of Bosin, um, the first book in the book of Luke is the story of Jesus from birth till the grave and resurrection and even ascension happens there in the book of Luke. And yet, this is what, how he opens. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things Jesus began to do and teach. He says, until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. That the book of Luke is all that Jesus began to do. The implication of that is that the book of Acts and beyond, even until today, is all that Jesus is continuing to do. And yet, the book of Acts doesn't even get to the first chapter and Jesus seems like Jesus just leaves. Here in verse 9, verse 9, nine verses down, and Jesus is gone, and yet this is what Jesus continued to do because Jesus is still working today. In fact, what he is doing today is taking the victory that he won and spreading it. Today, the, the main point I want you to hear today is this, and I, you can write this down, that the ascension is the way that Jesus' victory went viral. The ascension is the way Jesus' victory went viral. And, and you know, I, I mean viral in a good way, because we've experienced viral in a good way, right? Uh, this is where it went all over the world, and it is able to be spread all over the world because he ascended. This is the only way that Jesus' ministry could have the impact that it has today. This is the only reason that we celebrate that we celebrate Easter, that as some estimates say, two billion people last week celebrated Easter. And that is because Jesus is in the place of authority. Um, ascension, 
this is, Tim Keller would also say this, the ascension is that which takes what Jesus was and did on earth and releases it into the universe and into your lives with all of its healing power. Let me see if I can explain. I want to tell you five victories that take place and that we set the ascension. These are things that are highlighted there. The first one is that the Father's plan is accomplished. Okay, this is the first number one there, is that the Father's plan is accomplished. You see, um, the Father's plan was actually always more than, and, and let me be clear here, more than just Jesus coming, dying, and resurrecting. Okay, obviously that was the big part of the plan, maybe the biggest part of the plan, but it was dying, resurrecting, so that something else. And this is clear throughout our scriptures if we look at the way that it's talked about. In fact, uh, in, the, in the book of Acts, the very, first, the very first Christian sermon, Peter gets the honor of teaching and preaching the very first Christian sermon. Okay? It happens right after Pentecost. And in uh, Acts chapter 2, if you flip a page over with me, in Acts chapter 2, verse says this. Um, Peter's kind of He's ending his sermon. He's wrapping it up here a little. God raised up, okay? Now that he's talking about the, the, the resurrection, okay? The, the single most important fact uh, that, we, that we teach and believe. God raised up and we all, that we are all witnesses of that. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, he's talking about the ascension there. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourself are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself said, and now he quotes a passage of Scripture. In fact, what Peter is going to do here is quote Psalm 110. It's, it's verbatim in your Bibles. You can look back and forth. This is Psalm 110, verse 1. This is the most single most quoted passage in the New Testament of Old Testament um, of, of our Old Testament. So this is, this is some might say, the, the most important Old Testament passage. If our New Testament authors thought that that was that important, that they would quote it this much. And it says this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. The Lord said to, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You see, here, here's what I suggest. That the Father's not just that Jesus would die, that he would resurrect but that he would rule, that Jesus would continue to rule, that he would take his place as our ruler, as the one who would, as it says, make the enemies, his real enemies, the enemies of sin and death, his footstool. In other words, he would humiliate them. He would defeat them. They would be beneath him, that he would rise above them, and he would take his place as ruler. And I think that is what Jesus has been doing ever since. That is what Jesus started doing after he began. <laughs> after he began his work, now he is finishing it. And he's still doing that. You see, Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he is claiming what is his today, right now. The, the, the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper, he said it this way, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine, mine, 
mine, mine, mine. Do you realize that there's no place in your life, there's no part of your life that Jesus is not saying, no, 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 that's mine also. Oh, that's, that's mine. Uh, bring me into that because it's mine anyway. I think this is, uh, if nothing else, this is a call to us. Remember that, that there's no part of our life that we, we shouldn't be turning over to Jesus. It, it may be time to, to let, us in, let him into our finances, to, to make him and give him the, the throne of our relationships, of our marriages, of our family life, of our friendships, of our jobs. He's crying out, and it's his anyway. He's crying out, mine. So the first victory is that the Father's plan is accomplished. The second victory that we see here is that Jesus' presence is amplified. Jesus' presence is amplified. And you see, um, this is the real, one of the real things that makes this, uh, this whole thing viral, <laughs> uh, that makes it spread, that makes it, makes it go all over the world. You see, because um, I, I have to admit that I often thought of the ascension as the time in which Jesus' presence on earth ended. In fact, it kind of feels like that. I'm sure it kind of felt like that at first to the disciples, that all of a sudden, hey, you're with us and you're our leader, and then you're just gone. And I've often thought of the ascension, which meant his absence. And I'm here to tell you that it's the exact opposite, that his ascension actually means that his presence is amplified. You see, um, it's not like he just taught us, uh, you know, we have a few hundred pages in our book of Jesus's life, right, and, and his death and resurrection. Not like he just did those things and then just said, all right, woo, see you later, and took off into the, into the blue. No. He's there today. He's there today because that's where he's supposed to be. And he's there today because it's there that his presence can be here today. Okay, now think about this. Um, uh, he did, he left, he left those disciples, right? After the ascension, you couldn't see Jesus walking around those city streets in Jerusalem anymore, right? Um, uh, of course, the, you, you couldn't talk to him the way that you could back then. And, and I get it. There's something, you know, there's something comforting about seeing people, right? We all know that a lot more these days. There's something good about that. And there's something neat about seeing Jesus. That would have been amazing. However, only so many people could see Jesus at a time, right? In fact, if you, if you think about it, um, when Jesus put on flesh and made his dwelling among us, as the scriptures say, um, Jesus probably took up about as much space as I do. Maybe, you know, maybe a few, <laughs> a few inches less here, maybe an inch or two more here, right? Um, but more or less, it's about this much space. And he could interact with about this many people at a time. In fact, do you know this? If you've ever traveled outside of California, you have traveled further than Jesus ever traveled. If you've ever been to Bakersfield, <laughs> Santa Barbara, you've gone further than Jesus ever traveled in his life. His reach was, in the grand scheme of things, not all that great. And what he did when he was actually become available to the world. When he ascended, we didn't get less of him. 
we got more of him. And that's why when the, the disciples, uh, uh, you know, if you remember looking up into heaven after he leaves, and I just love this question that the angels bring to him. <laughs> the angels say, why are you standing looking into heaven? And I've always thought that was a funny question because they could just look at the angels and say, well, a guy just flew up in the sky. I mean, what do you think I'm looking at? All right, I mean, they're just standing around looking into heaven. And, and this response is a great response. They say, um, I mean, they say, why are you looking in heaven? I mean, that's not our goal, Christian, is just to be looking into heaven. In fact, he tells them, now you have a job. Um, this Jesus who's taken up into heaven will come in the same way as you saw. As if those angels are saying, remember what he just told you, okay? I'm going to get to what he just told you in just a minute because that becomes, that becomes our, our real goal here. But it, it gets to the question, where did Jesus go? Okay, heaven, right? We know that. Now, let, let me ask you an interesting question. Um, where is heaven? Now, we're, we're going to get a little bit, um, a little, little deep here, okay? I want to I kind of um, push us a little bit. Where is heaven? If you had to point to heaven, where would you point? I mean, right? We'd, come on. We, most of us would point up at some level, right? Jesus went up. You know, there's, a, there's this, you know, a clear idea that, that they're saying something. And yet, at the same time, I don't think anyone in those days, and I don't think we should necessarily think that heaven is up, right? You can't fly a couple thousand feet up in the air and all of a sudden get to heaven. It, it doesn't work that way, right? And, and I don't think that they were... Um, they were just uneducated enough to think that at those times. I mean, they, they thought the same way we do. We talk about things like the, you know, the sun rising. We know that the sun doesn't rise. We know that the earth is spinning, right? It's, 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 a, it's a way of speaking and a way of thinking about things. Heaven, one thing I do know, it, it doesn't, it's not up there. Where is it? I think that, uh, that uh, the, New Testament scholar, and right, um, he's very, very helpful. He's been super helpful in this. And he says it this way. Heaven is God, heaven's God's space, which intersects with our space, but transcends this, transcends it. Now, if you think about um, ascend, ascension and ascending, okay, you ascend to actually literally go up, but you actually ascend as well. Another way to think about it is to transcend, to, to rise above be in a place of authority over. And I think that's the imagery going on here, that Jesus is in a place of transcendence. And so, N.T. Wright will continue that it is, if you like, a further dimension of our world, not a place far removed at one extreme of our world. Okay, so we don't think about uh, heaven as space travel. We don't think about heaven as another place in our universe. Heaven is a place that is alongside of our universe. And it's, uh, it's helpful, I think, to think about it as a dimension that, that coexists with our universe. In fact, some have said that heaven is the control room, is the place where the throne is. That's the place where God is. And of course, there's some key advantages in the foremost of which is that Jesus is there, that his presence is somehow more real to us there, can interact with all of reality. And so that's how, because he is there, 
He can be available to us now here and on the other side of the world and all around us where the piles are going all over the place. That's where, that's where Jesus is because he is in heaven. Another place uh, Wright points out that um, from here in, in the earthly dimension, we can't always experience and interact with the, this dimension of heaven. And it's because there's a, as he calls it, a veil of invisibility that is caused by our sin, that it's caused by our rebellion. That, that, so yes, heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven, as Jesus declared, is brought near and it's close and it's with us, but we don't always see it because of our sin. And yet what we need to know is that this is where Jesus is, and he is ruling today. So when Jesus ascended, like I said, we got more of him, not less. And the main reason that we got more of him is because what Jesus does. If, if you remember in that sermon in Acts, uh, Paul declares that Jesus, Jesus, when he was seated at the right hand of God, it says that the promised Holy Spirit, that he receives from the Father the Spirit, and then he pours that Spirit out onto us. The third victory is that the Spirit's power is accessible. The Spirit's power is accessible because Jesus ascended. Now, I'd love to talk more about this. And I, I promise you, I'm not avoiding this topic um, because this is a topic we need to talk about. In fact, Ryan is going to talk about it next week. So he gets to talk about it, and I don't. But um, this is next week's sermon. We're going to talk about Pentecost and talk about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so I, you need to come back for that. And so I've got to just leave you hanging for that point and move on to the next one. And that is, that the fourth victory is that the church's purpose is announced. The church's purpose is announced. Church, we have a purpose, okay? It's announced in, in other places than this. This isn't the only time. However, this is, as I, this is what I like to call a mic drop moment, okay? Now, a mic drop is when you say something, drop the mic and leave, as if to say that is the final word. And notice what happened here. Eight of Acts chapter one, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, you are gonna be my witnesses. You are going to receive power. This is what you're gonna do. And as if in the middle of saying those words, because it says, it said these things, as they were looking, this is his last word to us. He is taken up from them right then. I gotta say, I think this is not just when the church's purpose is announced, because it had been announced before to the disciples. I think this is when they get it. This is when we realize it. Oh, you're really not going to stick around here. You're not going to set up your kingdom, earthly kingdom on earth, okay? And, and I know that because look at their question in verse 6. In verse 6, the disciples, they ask Jesus, they still are asking Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, hey, Jesus, will you restore your kingdom to this little slice of the world? Will you rule in this little region, where you can have your presence, and yes, your presence will be really strong, it'll be great right here. Is this when you're going to rule here? <laughs> and that's when Jesus says, it doesn't say he shook his head, but I just picture him going, oh boy, you're going to get it soon. You're going to get it soon, but no, that's not for you to know, Jesus says. 
And that's when he says, your job is to take this message, to take this kingdom to the known world, to spread it. I love that, hey, Jesus, when will you? As if they're just waiting on God. God, when, when are you gonna, when are you gonna help me? When, when are you? Got me thinking, um, how much of our life do we spend asking God to do the things that God has already equipped us to do? How much do we tend to blame God? Oh, God, when, why aren't you doing this? What, God, wait, wait, when are you? When are you? When, and look what Jesus' response is. Ask, when were you? And Jesus says, oh, you will. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. I, I, I got to say, I, I've always been baffled by Jesus doing this because I'd much rather have Jesus doing it, right? I'd much rather have Jesus um, here setting up his kingdom so we could follow him here and now and in a physical way. And yet Jesus decided, here's something, church, you can do. You have a mission, church. You will, not when will you. You see, uh, we carry on the work of Jesus under his leadership with his power. And that's because the Spirit's power is accessible to, accessible to us. It's because that it's when we take on the, the church's purpose and when we live that out. And when we do that, you know what happens? We begin, we begin to fulfill an ancient promise. And this is the final point here, is that the ancient promise is advancing. That the ancient promise is advancing today. The reason so important is because Jesus, he began advancing this ancient promise right there. And we've been advancing it ever since. What's the ancient promise, you might ask? Because way, way back in the book of Genesis, in the early pages, chapter 12, the first the human that God decided to work through and his people, okay? In some senses, it can be analogous to us because he's still working through us. But the first one is a guy named Abraham. And when God chose Abraham, Abraham had no kids. He, he, you know, he and his wife, it was just the two of them. And God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, right? In fact, in, in Genesis 12, verse 2, I will make you a great nation, God says to Abraham. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so that you can go and bless other people. And then he goes on to say, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, guess what? Um, Abraham didn't quite that out. He, he tried, he tried. Um, the the Israelite, Israelite nation, right? They, they didn't quite figure that out. They couldn't get beyond themselves, you could say. It wasn't until Jesus that they figured it out. Now, in fact, they wouldn't have figured it out if Jesus had not ascended, given us the Holy Spirit, because it isn't until he did that this message could go viral to go all around the world because that was this father's plan and that plan was accomplished, that Jesus' presence would be amplified 
that the, the Holy Spirit's power will be available to you, that the, the, church's, the church's purpose would be announced, and not only announced, but we would take it on and live it out. In doing so, we'd be answering or this, advancing this ancient promise. How are we doing on that? How are we doing? In, in some ways, um, I, in some ways it feels like it's very difficult. It's very difficult to be a Christian these days, doesn't it? Times it can feel like uh, we're at a disadvantage. And it's, it can feel like it's getting harder and harder and harder to be about being a blessing to the world, Right? Can I tell you, um, can I, maybe I want to encourage you a little bit, that it's been worse. <laughs> it's been a lot worse. But, uh, can I just give you some numbers? And I, I, wanna, I, I hope these numbers will encourage you, that actually the world is a lot closer at hand than you might think. Okay, because think about this. Jesus, the guy who two billion people talked about l- last weekend, right? <laughs> um, that Jesus, when he left, do you know how many disciples he had? About 120, okay? 120. That's what it says in a few verses later in Acts. There's 120 of them that gathered together. 120 people. Okay, you know, that's, pretty, that's not bad. But there's more than that here. <laughs> um, here, the guy that we, all those people talk about, that we still talk about today, only left with 120 disciples. Now, best estimates of the world population of those day, that day, of the year 33 AD, best estimation is about, there, there's about 200 million people. 200 million people. Do you know what that means? That, that for every one disciple that Jesus left here on earth, that meant that they had to, to reach 1.67 million people. Say, if one of you had to reach 1.6 million people, that's a lot of people, right? Let's jump to today. You're 2021. You're 2021. Like I said, there's 2 billion people, but I'm just going to go on a limb here and say not all of those are committed to this, to this process, to making disciples, right? And let's just say, may, okay, I'm just going to hope that maybe a quarter of them are that 25% are, like, they really get this. They, they've caught the vision, and they want this kingdom to advance. If that's true, and there are 500 to maybe on the high 800 million Christians in the world, okay? I'm told that there might even be that many in China alone, okay? But let's just say, it should be very conservative and say that that's it. Do you realize there are 7.8 billion people in the world? If you do the math... And you can do this at home. That means for every one of you, there are 10 to 15 people. We've made a lot of progress. And I, I don't mean us. It's not because we're, we're all that great. It's because the victory of Jesus went viral. It's because Jesus' presence has been amplified around the world. It's because now we've gone from 1 to 1.6 million people to 1 to 10. And I just, I, I'm just guessing that you might know 10 people. You, you, might know ten, you might even know 10 people that need to hear this message. You might know 10 people that you can invite to church, that you can invite to this new building that we're building. This, this promise, this ancient promise, it is advancing. It is advancing because of where Jesus sits. He sits on high. He sits in the throne. He is the one in charge. He is the one controlling. He is the one that, that is the, the, the one that's really leading. And so all of our worries, all of our complaints, 
you know, we have the right person in charge, don't we? Jesus is ruling on high. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, because, because the Father's plan is accomplished, because Jesus' presence is amplified, because the Holy Spirit's power is accessible, and the church's purpose is, is announced to us, we can be a part. We can be a part of the promise. Let's be a blessing to the world. Let's be people who continue to advance the message of the good news of Jesus. Let me pray for you today. Lord God, I just ask that you would help us to Help us to be people who catch the vision. Oh, God, what, what an amazing thought that it's, it's not up to me to, to save billions of people who are lost. But, God, maybe, maybe I can reach out to 10 or 15. Maybe I can be somebody who, who, just, who just adds one more who finds one more person that needs that needs the life that you have given the healing power that you offer maybe there's just one person in my life that doesn't that doesn't experience the blessing that you brought Lord we experience that that we're here we're experiencing it right now and for that we're so thankful you have blessed us beyond belief Now, God, I pray that because of who you are, because of where you are, because of where you sit in authority over my life, over the life of this church, God, would you help us to be a people who take that blessing, not just keep it for ourselves, but we share it with the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.